Paul. And so we're in week two of the Advent Conspiracy. And what we're doing, if you don't know this, is we're conspiring together to take back Christmas. You know, I think it's a good thing to do. We're conspiring together to take back Christmas, to reclaim the celebration of the birth of Christ um, from what it's kind of become in our culture, which is all just other stuff except for celebrating Jesus. Matter of fact, um, you can't even in our state capital anymore call it a Christmas tree. It's a holiday tree. You know, it's just that's the way our world is going. And But we're going to take it back. And maybe we won't be able to change the entire world, but we can change our worlds. And you know what I hope as we change our worlds? That God does use us to change the entire world. Because I really think it's possible. So week one of the Advent Conspiracy, Pastor Mitch preached. And Pastor Mitch, you did a great job wherever you are. You did a great job. Thank you. I I can tell the people now that 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 was Pastor Mitch's first sermon to adults. (laughs) And you did a phenomenal job and and survived the media collapse and uh, did a great job. And in, in his message, he preached about week one, worshiping fully. And, you know, it was no stretch to fix to pick who I'd like to preach on that because one thing we've learned about Pastor Mitch in his walk with Jesus is he knows how to worship. And so he talked to us about worship last week and, and the fact that, um, that we need to worship Jesus for who he is and worship Jesus for what he has done. And Pastor Mitch expressed the greatness of God's creation and the generosity of his provisions. And friends, we need to get this point. And so I'm making it very briefly again that Christmas is about worship, that the Advent story is based in worship. Mary worshipped, Joseph worshipped, the shepherds worshipped, the magi worshipped, the angels worshipped, and if we're going to really get Christmas, we are invited into the story to worship Jesus, the babe in the manger who became everything that we know he, he is. You know, to worship the king who came as that little baby, born in obscurity and born in poverty, born with nothing at all. His mother had to wrap him in rags and put him in an animal feeding trough, who came to buy what money couldn't buy. And there's a reason why I'm talking about the financial part of it today, because we're going to be looking at spending less. He came in poverty, who had nothing to purchase what money could not purchase. Sometimes we think if you have money, you have it all. Jesus' life shows he could purchase what money couldn't purchase. He purchased the forgiveness of the sins of mankind, and that's who we come together to worship this holiday season. And friends, it's this aspect, the the, the financial kind of idea, this aspect of the Christmas story that leads up to the next point that we want to look at today in our Advent conspiracy. The aspect of Jesus coming humbly, born in poverty, Living as a king, but never living in a palace. Living as a king, but never wearing a crown of gold, but instead ultimately wearing a crown of thorns. That Jesus' kingdom and his authority never had anything to do with the wealth of the world. world. Grab your Bibles. Open with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at something from the... Christmas story, and you're going to say, well, that's not part of the Christmas story. Well, it really is, because it's just after, days after, what we think of as a Christmas story. Luke chapter 2. And I want to show you something as a, as a way to jump into this topic, something that maybe you hadn't noticed before, maybe it, you didn't realize what it meant before. But we're going to look at something about the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, 
Normally we stop reading in verse 20, but I want you to start reading with me today in verse 21. It says, And when eight days had passed, so Jesus was born and eight days later, they're going to follow some Jewish customs. When eight days had passed, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22, And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, that's what we want to focus on today. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Do you realize there's significance in that right there? That they brought a sacrifice. Do you realize the significance of the sacrifice? In Leviticus chapter 12, and you don't have to turn there, you can look at it later if you want. Leviticus chapter 12, it says that when a person, when a family, a Jewish family had a child, and they had their first male, that they were to come to the Lord and make a sacrifice for that child. And they were to sacrifice, it said, a lamb for that child. But it made a provision in, Luke, in Leviticus 12.8. It says, but basically this, but if they can't afford to give a lamb that then they could, if they don't have the means, offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That if they didn't have the money to do it, they could offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons because, number one, they didn't have much value. You could purchase them, but number two, if you had no money at all, you could probably somehow get your hands on a pair of young pigeons. I've caught pigeons in the barn. Anybody ever done that? Go up in the barn, take them out of their nests, you know? People eat them. It's called squabs. You know, and um, and so you're shaking your head, John. I've eaten everything, John. There's nothing I haven't eaten. <laughs> nothing on the planet I haven't eaten. I'll try anything. And um, it's something that you can get your hands on um, without any money. You say, well, what well, big deal? What's the importance? I think it's a huge deal, as we're going to look at spending less today. Because from the very start of the story of Jesus' life, from the very inception, beginning of his ministry, Jesus' ministry had nothing to do with worldly stuff. Nothing at all to do with it. He chose a family that he's going to... He chose a girl who's married to, going to get married to a, to a guy. They've never had relations. But he doesn't choose the kind of family that you or I would choose to say, I've got to make sure my kid's well taken care of. He chooses a family that is so poor that they can't even offer a lamb for the sacrifice for their son. They've got to give a pair of pigeons or two turtle doves. Now God had made that provision way back then that some people wouldn't have the resources and he chose a family who didn't have the resources. And friends, I think this is something that we need to recognize as we try to celebrate correctly this holiday season. You see... Today we enter the second week of our, of our conspiracy. And I want to think about the idea of spending less at Christmas time. Or at least I want us to think about the idea of spending differently this year during the Christmas season. Now, the video clip we were going to watch um, was that one that started with a TV set. Ding, 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 ding. Remember that? Ding, ding. We watched it a couple weeks ago. 
And it talked about somebody getting, does that sound, you like that music? Somebody, uh, somebody sounded, you know, somebody gives a, a sweater to Aunt whomever she doesn't really need, and somebody gives a gift card to somebody that they don't really need. You know, we, we understand that, that, we, we, that, that idea of buying stuff for people that they don't really want. Giving, you know, Aunt Wilma a sweater, and she does it, and she shoves it in her drawer. Anybody have a sweater drawer? How come sweater drawers, you can just keep packing sweaters in? But you can never, when you try to open them, you can't get it out because they all expand inside there. That's what Christmas has kind of become. We just buy another sweater for somebody that they pack into the sweater drawer, you know, and then they're never going to re- really use it. You know, my hope is today we, we, get, we, we kind of get released from that trap into thinking that we must buy stuff for people who don't need anything. And so one of the points of the Advent conspiracy is to, is to wrestle with this idea that we, that we don't necessarily have to be trapped into the idea of buying stuff for people who don't need it, but that instead what we'll do is we'll take that money and we will give it to somebody or something where there's a real need. Maybe we'll give it to a mom in a lady shelter who can't afford to buy something for her kids this Christmas. You know, and you know what I think? I think we really get this as a church. I think we get that aspect of the spend less part of the Advent conspiracy. And the way I know is 328 Operation Christmas Child boxes and taking every tree, every gift off the tree last week. That you're saying, we want to do something right during the Christmas season. I think as a church, we really get it. There's an old saying that some of you young guys won't get, but it says the proof's in the pudding. I think the proof is in the pudding. We look at pork, you know, we, we get this, this part of it. You know, that's one of our goals in this conspiracy for us to spend less on junk and give more, and I think that's a great goal. But you know what, church? I want you to understand that our conspiracy goes way beyond that. It's not just about spending less. It's also about spending and giving differently. See, what I hope this year is I hope that for us to really think about what we give and to spend less on things that could actually be harmful to the true meaning of Christmas if we were to give those things this season. Because I think there's things we could do that are harmful in just trying to be nice and buying presents. Doing like everybody else does. Buy, 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 buy. You see, when I say something could be harmful, I'm not saying it in the sense of you buy a, a toy for your child and it's got lead paint from China and they eat it and they get sick. I know that's, that's something to think about, but that's not what I mean by being harmful. I'm talking about the giving of gifts or a gift that could actually steer someone away from the heart of Christmas. And let me give you an example. And I talked to my boys, I said this example, and they said, everybody, all the kids in church are going to hate you. So don't hate me. Wait till the end. Find out that I'm, I'm, not, I'm not Uncle Scrooge, Lindsay, even though you call me that. Um, never thought about that till right now. An example. You're trying to be like all the good parents in town, and your kid is being like every other kid in town and said, I gotta have it, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. And, and it, in this case, is the latest, greatest video game. Now, understand, I'm not against video games. But you go and you buy the latest, greatest video game, and you buy the, the kind of player, the MP, whatever it plays, or the Xbox, or whatever, and you buy the player, and you buy the game, and you give it to your kid, and you look at the smiles at Christmas time, but then they, they get to use it. And if your kids are like most kids, they take the game and they go into their bedroom and they put it on their little TV set and they close the door and you never see them for the next six months. You know, and they're in there. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not opposed to video games. I don't like video games for one reason. I always lose. That's why I hate them. 
because I, there's not a spiritual thing. I just lose every time. My kids love them because they beat me all the time. And, and so I, I don't have a problem with them in a sense. But, but think of this. You could actually give a gift that could be harmful. You could give a gift to your child that has anti-Christian ideals in it. But then even I think worse, that it isolates them in their bedroom for countless hours away, away from the rest of the family as they play the very game that you gave them and you gave it an attempt to celebrate Jesus who's all about bringing families together. It could actually be negative. It actually could be harmful to the message of Christmas. You see, as we conspire together this Advent season, as we conspire to take back Christmas I want you to really think about what messages and values your giving projects. And I understand something as I challenge you to do this, because a lot of you shared this with us last year as we, as we talked about this, and we experienced it ourselves. It makes Christmas a lot harder to think instead of just charge it. To think about what will this say as I give this gift. I want you to think about it. What do you want to pass down to your children and your grandchildren this Advent season? You know one thing that's really struck me this season as I'm thinking about this? Remember, I get the privilege in my job of spending countless hours thinking and thinking and, and researches and reading and writing to come up with a message to communicate to you. So you hear it for 30 or 40 minutes. I get to hear it in my mind for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And one of the things that's been challenging me this season is to think about this idea, what do I want to pass down to my kids about what Christmas is all about. And to think about this, friends, whether we like it or not, their traditions, our kids and our grandkids, their traditions and their values come from us. We're the ones who set them up to believe what's most important in their lives, and we're the ones who tell them what's most important at Christmas time. Now, as I was thinking about that, thinking about how can, how can I challenge our church to think differently, I was struck with something. There's something I think I need to, to give us today as an equipping. I think for you to be able to honestly evaluate and make changes to what you have always done at Christmas, and that's what this conspiracy is all about. Some of you just go on autopilot every year and you keep doing the same thing, but you, I want you to think this year. Are you communicating what you want to communicate? Do you really want to communicate that the only thing grandparents are good for is giving tons of gifts? Some of you say, oh, yes. But think, is that really the ultimate greatest message that you want to give out at Christmas? Now, kids, don't hate me for that. Okay? I want us to have the best thing possible. But for us to honestly be able to evaluate and make changes this year, that I think what I need to give you today, and I think it's something that needs to be imparted to you today, is the release from the burden that you feel to spend excessively at Christmas. And I know that that's a, that's a burden that is upon every one of us who live in this culture because the pull for it is everywhere. It's all around you. It's from your neighbors and your kids and your friends and all the commercials that you watch on TV that it, it, it communicates. If you really want to have that perfect Norman Rockwell kind of Christmas where everybody's happy and sitting around the tree and celebrating, that what you really have to do is spend, spend, spend. Because we all know this, every kiss begins with K. Right? You say, what's he talking about? If you really love your wife this year, you're going to go to K Jewelers and you're going to buy her a diamond. I hate that commercial. Every kiss starts with the letter K. But it doesn't have to start with a diamond. 
Matter of fact, ask yourself, would it necessarily, you know, ladies are going to go, he's crazy. Would it necessarily communicate the right thing to give some huge, maybe very expensive gift of a diamond at Christmas to your wife when the real intention is you're supposed to be celebrating Jesus? My point is that we need to be released from an idea that's been put upon us, a burden that's been put upon us, that says that Christmas is all about spending, 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 and I'm not going to look at you today, Suzanne. (laughs) Because today I want to release you from the burden of thinking that spending excessively will make Christmas better. Because, friends, oftentimes spending excessively does not make Christmas better. Matter of fact, I believe often it does exactly the opposite. And that's for two reasons. One, often excessive spending can rob you of the joy of Christmas because you spend what you don't have and you get into debt. Now, that's not a problem for all of you. Some of you have an abundance, and that's great. I think God wants us to live in abundance. But if I believe statistics, and I think I do, I believe numbers, it tells me the average American's got about 10 grand in credit card debt before Christmas. Average family. And I think we're kind of average. I hope that's not true of us. I hope that's not true about any of us. But you know what I know? That if we just listen to the, to the commercials, that, that my wife would really have a great Christmas if the kiss begins with K, and I buy her a great big rock for Christmas, and if I can't afford to do it, that somehow we'll have the Norman Rockwell beautiful Christmas when inside my guts are churning, because I'm saying, how in the world can I pay for it? That the excess of giving can actually rob me of the very gift that God wants me to give. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. doesn't happen when you can't sleep because you're trying to figure out how to pay the credit card bill. So that's one way that excessive spending can rob you of the joy of Christmas. But there's another one. Because some of you can say, you know, I can go buy it. I got, all the, I got pretty much as much money to buy whatever I want to buy. And I think that's great. But there's another way it can rob you. That excessive spending can cause us to simply miss the real meaning of Christmas. And it's what I alluded to a minute ago. Because it becomes about giving gifts for other people to other people instead of of celebrating the birth of our Savior Jesus. Do you understand that how it can be, that the gift giving can be a a diversion? I'm not against gift giving. We're going to give gifts. But it could be a diversion from the real heart of what this is supposed to be. And friends, I want to release you today from a burden that society has put upon you and that I believe God has never intended for you to carry. Now, I think you know, to do that, in order to get, release you from the burden, for you to really feel released from the things that can distract us from the heart of Christmas, that I need to explain something. Because this is how God really has dealt with me and said, if I understood this, now I feel freer in that area. And I'll explain this to you, to explain the origin of our Christmas celebration. Because as you see the origin of our Christmas celebration, probably an idea, idea from history that you've never heard before, that if you understand the origin, you're going to see how some things have crept in and attached themselves um, and have caused a distraction, and you're going to feel freer to focus on Jesus as you see that these things were never meant to be part of the Christmas celebration in the first place. You see, understand, I don't want to suck the joy out of Christmas by somehow saying that gift-giving or decorating are bad, because I don't think they are but I hope for just the opposite, that as we center our attention on the only thing that can give us real joy, that we can filter out some of those things that can distract us, that we will experience the most joyous and fulfilling Christ-centered 
Christmas that we've ever experienced in our life. That's my hope. The Advent conspiracy is about really experiencing Jesus. And that that's what we'll get as we challenge some of our thinking. So let me start with a little history lesson for you. That some of you are going to go, wow, I didn't know that. Do you know that the early church uh, did not celebrate Jesus' birth? Do you know the early church, those people who, who walked with Jesus, that they did not celebrate the early church? They didn't. Matter of fact, in the early years of Christianity, Easter was the primary holy day. You know where we get that word holiday from? Holy day, that's what a holiday is. That Easter was the primary holiday and that there was no celebration honoring Jesus' birth. But in the, about 300 years after Christ, in 336 A.D., some church officials decided to change that. And they did it for what I think to be a very honorable and strategic purpose. They wanted to advance Christianity and redirect misguided pagan celebrations. So they chose a date that was already a pagan holiday and they Christianized it. Now I'm going to deflate some of your ideas about Christmas here, but I'm just telling you a historical fact. That they chose December 25th. The church leadership did. Not because they believe it was Jesus' birthday, because understand this, scholars forever have always believed Jesus was born in the spring. No one, people debate, whoa, Christmas, no, no, no one's ever said Jesus was born on December 25th. Just a day that was set aside to celebrate it. They chose that day because for thousands of years there had been a time of pagan worship called the winter solstice celebrations that people had studied astronomy, knew the movement of the stars, and it had been one of the pivotal celebrations throughout history around the globe. This winter solstice, as we know as December 21st, you know, that, that they'd always had celebrations in all different cultures on that day. And they had a good intention. They said, let's take that day and redirect worship from the sun, S-U-N, that big fireball in the sky, and let's direct the worship onto the sun, S-O-N, the son of God. And so they said, we're going to redirect some things. We're going to kind of try to Christianize something that's pagan. Because for thousands of years... Cultures had worshipped at this time of winter solstice for a very important reason. The winter solstice, the solstice is a, there's a spring and a, a, a summer and a winter one. It's when the, when the sun is as far north or as far south as it can become. And the winter solstice is when the sun is as far north or far south as it can be for those of us in the northern hemisphere. And so we have the shortest days possible. You know how right now you get up and you go, it's dark when I get up and it's dark when I get home? and I never see the sunlight, it's because the sun, we live up here on the globe, and the sun is way down here. And on the 21st of December, it's going to be as far down as it can, and it's going to be the shortest possible day. And for centuries, thousands of years, people had celebrated the fact that it was now short, and it's going to start getting long again. It was a winter solstice celebration. And they began to, to celebrate that, hey, spring is on its way. And you say, well, that's important. We like spring on its way. That would be really important if we lived in Wisconsin and we didn't have central heat and you didn't have, uh, you know, uh, nice warm jackets and you didn't, you didn't have hot water heaters, you'd know that, hey, today's the day that the sun's as far south as it's going to be, the day's as short as it's going to get, and it's going to start getting warmer again. You'd have cause to celebrate. And that's why for thousands of years they had celebrated that day. Well, you're going to find something about those celebrations, and I want to talk about those celebrations from three different cultures, that they included some things that you're going to go, wow, 
That sounds familiar. Start with Babylonia first. Ancient Babylonia, go all the way back as far as we can, 4,000 years. They had a winter solstice celebration, which was their New Year's celebration. And they worshipped um, their god uh, Marduk, and they believed that, that what happened is that, that this, their god uh, Marduk, that in order for the days to grow longer, that he had to do this battle with darkness and with, with demons and monsters. And so they had this celebration that had to do with that, with that battle. And they took the king who was supposed to go help Marduk in the battle, but what they really did is they took some person out of prison, dressed him up like a king, and sacrificed him. And that he was supposed to help in this battle. And they had this celebration of the winter solstice. You know how long the celebration lasted? Somebody sing a, a song for me about how many days on the first day of Christmas. How many? The 12 days of Christmas. They had a 12-day celebration of, the, of their God fighting to bring the sun back. Switch over to our roots, some of us. How many have Scandinavian roots? Oh, come on. We got more than that. I am... Larson, Olson, Hansen, okay, all of us Swedes and Norwegians and those of us who came from the right place. You know what? During winter, 2,000, 3,000 years ago in Scandinavia, northern Europe, they understood the same thing. They all looked at the stars. And they understood that, and, and, the, and, the, and the movement of the sun, they understood that, that this was the time that the sun was gone and, and the, the sun was all the way south. And so what they would do in Scandinavia and northern Europe is they would send out scouts to the mountaintops to scan the horizon for its return. And when they saw the sun coming back, they'd come back and they'd begin a celebration. You know what the celebration was called? Yuletide. Hmm, that sounds familiar. And you know what they would do? They would burn a Yule log. And you know how long they would celebrate the burning of the Yule log? For 12 days. The 12 days of Christmas. And you know what they did to celebrate in addition to burning the Yule log? They took red apples and they tied them on the branches of trees to remind themselves that spring and summer would soon return. I can go in my living room right now and see some things that look like red apples tied on a tree. Right? Little Christmas bulbs we put on there. They did that. You know what else they did? They took mistletoe. Mistletoe, they thought, was, was uh, sacred to them. And they would cut it into pieces and give a, a spray of it to each person. And they would hang it above their doorway. And if you kissed under the mistletoe in your, under your door, it was supposed to be good luck. Some of those Christmas things seem to be still happening. Let's move to Rome. We think, well, Romans are a Western world. They're more, they're more uh, civilized. We take what they do. You know what the Romans did? The winter solstice meant the festival called Saturnalia, Saturnalia, the worship of their god Saturn. And you know how they celebrated that? They celebrated this fest, this, this, this uh, feast on the 25th with feasts, with visiting friends, with exchanging of good luck gifts. And then what they would do is they would deck their halls with garlands of laurel and set up green trees lit with candles to celebrate the fact that the coming of the, the sun is going to come back. And what the, what the wealthiest class did is they celebrated the birth of Mithra. Mithra, you know what Mithra was? It was the god of the unconquerable sun. And you know what day they celebrated the birth, the, the birth of, the, of the god of the unconquerable sun? December 25th. So on December 25th, they celebrated this in Rome, throughout Roman culture. So Romans called the winter solstice the birthday of the unconquered sun. 
Now think of this. Think of the early church leaders. It's 336 years after Christ. And so as early church leaders, it made so much sense to take that day, the celebration of the return of the Son, S-U-N, and to transform it into the celebration, the birthday celebration of the true Son, the ultimate light, Jesus himself. They understood what the scriptures taught. They understood that the prophet Isaiah had said to them about Jesus, that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. They understood that Jesus was the light. They understood from the scripture that, that John, the writer of the, in the New Testament wrote, that the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. In him was life, and the light that was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. They understood Jesus was the true light. And Jesus himself had said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And they thought, what a great idea. Transform a pagan holiday into a Christian holiday. I think they had great intentions. They said, you know what? For all these years and all these cultures, people on this time around the winter solstice have made this huge celebration of the S-U-N sun. Let's Christianize it and turn it into a celebration of the S-O-N sun because scripture says he is the true light. And friends, it makes for good preaching. They said, it works. Let's do it. But you know what? Something incredibly predictable happened. You know what happened? When you try to Christianize something that's pagan, the trappings of the pagan festivals just held on to the celebration of the birth of Christ. And their intention for the simple and pure and unencumbered celebration of the one born in humility and simplicity was, was, was encumbered by all this other stuff. And within time, the peripheral things became the focus and Jesus somehow got left in the manger. Well, now we can't even leave him in the manger anymore because somebody from the ACLU will sue you for it if it's on public property. You know that in the 1600s, in England, how many have English roots? Okay. You know that in the 1600s, that, um, Christian, that Christmas celebration was outlawed in England? And you know why it was? Because all the trappings had been stuck on it. And you know what it had become? This is a quote. It had been marked by drunkenness, gluttony, and superstition. And the reformers came in and said, no more celebration of Christmas. It may have had a good intention in 336, but all it is is kept these pagan festivals and pagan rituals, and we've missed the whole intention. And they made it illegal in England under the reformers to celebrate Christmas in the churches. The pagan trappings overshadowed the intended purpose of the holiday. The pagan trappings of feasts and gift-giving and visiting friends, and decorating trees, and mistletoe, and yule logs, and on and on, became the focus of the holy day. And Jesus, which was the intended purpose of the day, got left off somewhere on the side. Friends, I believe that's exactly where we find ourselves today in our culture. What was originally meant to draw people's eyes away from the world and onto Jesus, that was the intention. Draw them away from the paganness and onto Christ, that intent, original intention has been hijacked by our culture just as it has for, for 2,000 years. And friends, I need you to understand so that you can feel released 
from the burden of those things that have attached themselves to Christmas that these extra things were never intended to be part of the celebration of Jesus' birth. They were all the stuff that was there they were trying to replace. So friends, to avoid these things, to avoid these excesses, is to give opportunity to focus on Christmas's original objective, celebrating our great Lord and Savior, Jesus. So friends, you know why spend less is in the Advent conspiracy? Why we've chosen to include it in our Advent conspiracy? Because spending less is all about not getting sucked into the pagan or the secular trappings that Christmas was meant to replace. To spend less, to make a conscious decision to break the fetters and to break the bonds and to spend less, uh, contrary to what Kay Jewelers has to tell us, to choose to spend less is to be a reformer. It's to be a reformer that says, you know what, we're going back to the original. We're shedding those things that distract. The intention of celebrating Jesus' birthday on December 25th was to reveal to the world that the one that Isaiah, the prophet, spoke of had come. They wanted to make a statement. You're looking at the Son, but we want to point to the Son, Jesus. Because they understood that Isaiah, when he said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And friends, during this Advent conspiracy, let's walk in the light of Christ and not allow His radiance to be blocked out by the things that don't really and never have really belonged. Now understand, how you do that is up to you. I'm not saying you can't give gifts. I'm not saying you can't decorate a tree. I'm saying let's make sure those things we do don't cloud the real meaning. Let's make sure that those things don't become the focus. And Jesus gets left out in a manger in the front yard somewhere or on a street corner downtown and we really don't think about Him. That everything's about Jesus. That buying gifts don't tear our families apart. That buying gifts don't stress us financially so that we can't really enjoy Christ at Christmas. He came in poverty. And we can worship Him in poverty if we had to. But praise the Lord, we don't live in poverty. But let's not take our, the abundance and the wealth that God has given us and use those things to now cloud what Christmas was meant to be from 336 till today. A day of celebrating that Jesus is the real Son. That He's the real light that came into the world. And let's let that light and that radiance affect us and not get blinded, not get clouded out by all the other stuff. You know what, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, the only ones that can do that in our house are you and I. Because you know what our kids are going to say? Gimme, 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 gimme. You know who teaches them? And I'm not saying don't buy gifts. You hear me, I've said it about 13 times today. I'm not saying don't buy gifts. So don't blame Pastor Mark at Christmas time. Um, <laughs> what I'm saying is, let's make sure that what we give, we do thoughtfully. And we don't do things that will separate our families and separate us from the true message of Christ. Let's use our heads and let's, let's, let's try to reclaim that original intent from, from 1,700 years ago. That this time of the year, I'm looking forward to spring. 
we got snow. I want it. I hope it's the first and last snowfall of the year. You know, it's not going to happen, but I hope it is. I'm looking forward to spring. But the most important thing in our lives shouldn't be the fact that the shortest day is coming up in, in about two weeks and then it's going to get longer days. The most important thing ought to be that for unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning?